Right now, there are more than 1,400 cold cases in Jacksonville. They're more than a stack of files sitting in a vault collecting dust. They're a constant reminder that someone got away with murder. I'm Paige Kelton with Action News Jackson. We've partnered with Project Cold Case and the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office to put the spotlight on unsolved local crimes. The goal is to generate a tip that leads to an arrest. On the night of October 6, 2008, the corner of Colonial and Vista Avenues was the backdrop of a violent crime. The victim was Stephen Wiggins, the man Katie Wiggins called dad. I came the next day when we heard, and I came and um, we saw the blood, the shell casings over here. She was in her early 20s when her world changed. She's still looking for answers nearly a decade later. My love for him will never die, so I will never give up, ever. Detective Ray Reeves of JSO agreed to meet with us about the case. This is one piece, uh, one of the shell casings from the, the caliber of gun that, that killed Mr. Wiggins. Wiggins was at what was then Maddie's landing bar, only a few blocks away. Around 11.30 p.m., he was spotted on surveillance video at the drive through window of this McDonald's. We've got all of that on video. Um, and uh, he is not, doesn't appear to be in distress at all. A short time after that, a neighbor called 911 to report hearing gunshots. Minutes later, JSO found his body. They, they noticed several gunshot wounds uh, to his torso and his head. What makes this case even more complicated is that JSO doesn't yet have a motive. Wiggins' body was found right here on the road. His car on the other side of the road, just a few feet away. The driver's side door was wide open and his car was still running. And Wiggins' wallet was still on his body. It was not uh, carjacking. It wasn't uh, a robbery. Um, and it was, may have been someone that it, he at least was familiar with. But now, thanks to new information, Reeves tells me they found someone who might help. We were able to develop um, someone that at the time was someone that needed to be talked to, maybe a person of interest. DNA taken from the scene is now also being tested with new technology. For Katie, the new developments are welcomed news. I just want to know what happened. To this day, she still drives by this area once a week. She's also working on getting her master's degree in mental health counseling. She's months away from graduating, but for her, it's yet another milestone her dad will miss. I'll also never have that chance to take a photo when I graduate with my master's this year. Lorena Inclan, CBS 47, Action News Jax. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie Wiggins, uh, daughter of Stephen Wiggins. Uh, we really wanted to talk to you about your experience, you know, with the most arguably one of the most traumatic experiences of somebody's life. Not knowing, especially, do you think that makes it harder, not knowing what happened? Um, I don't think it makes it harder. Um, I don't believe in closure in this situation, but um, what makes it harder is just not having the answers that we deserve to know. The what, the why, and the who, and the how. Mm. So, um, but I don't think anything can make the situation harder. Mm -hmm. We're standing in the location where your father was found. Mm -hmm. Show us, uh, because I understand you, you come here quite often, right? So Yeah, I come here once a week. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. this area looks really different, and the most surprising part for me to this day, just like it was 10 years ago, was that it's such a quaint neighborhood, and for someone to be murdered is just unheard of, I think, in a neighborhood like this. 
Um, so, but I noticed recently that this house wasn't here before. And it, I just remember there was a ditch and his body was laying directly next to the ditch with blood surrounding him. Um, and I can still see it right now, but uh, that's, a, that's all I see when I come here is just his body and his car. Did you come to the crime scene that night? Not that night. I came the next day when we heard and I came and um, we saw the blood, the shell casings over here. And um, we talked to a couple of people and we got lots of theories, but none of it we we don't know what's true and what's not at this point so now this is this was your dad's neighborhood he lived in this area yeah he yeah. lived right that way at yeah. appleton he was on his way home and um, this lady we talked to her and um, she was scared for her life because it happened directly in front of her house and so mm. there just wasn't really any eyewitnesses but it hurt my heart to know that he was literally so close to home and he was on his way home and he never made it what do you remember from that moment leading up to it? Would you be able to share with us your last conversation with your dad? Um, yeah, so me and my dad went to um, Maddie's bar and played some pool. Apparently he hung out there and that was his spot. And um, we actually drove this route coming this, this Saturday. He died on a Monday night and it was a Saturday that I spent the last day with him and we, October 4th, 2008, played pool, laughed, um, had such a good moment together. And we just, we ended up driving this route, which is why when I heard when he died, I knew kind of where to go. Um, but mm -hmm. we had a really good day. We bonded, we had a very good bond. He was my best friend. And um, I sometimes regret not calling him on that Sunday or that Monday because that was the last time I ever saw him. He liked going to that bar? Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. He liked to play pool. Mm. And so yeah. he knew a lot of people there? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He knew, um, I mean, I think he, yeah, everyone knew him when we walked in. He introduced me. He was very proud to be my father. And so he had always introduced me and always um, shared me with people and shared my brother with people. And um, he was just that type of guy, just very proud to be who he was. Are you the younger or older sibling? I am the younger sibling. sibling. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your dad, what kind of person he was. Um, my dad was funny. He was hardworking. He was loud. Um, he was from up north, and so he thought he was Italian, but he wasn't. <laughs> um, but he, he just cared about people. and. He, he expressed himself well and, you know, he had no problem telling you if he had an issue, but he would give anybody the shirt off his back. And he was a very good person, despite mm -hmm. the struggles he went through and the things he experienced. He loved God, he had faith, and he, um, he was taken too soon, way too mm -hmm. soon. Are you, is it confusing, especially because you, you would describe him as, as somebody who has a lot of friends, did he ever have any issues with anybody or um, what do you think? Happened? I don't know if he had issues with anybody personally, like around that time. I just know that my dad had a rough patch and he had an attitude and, and, and if it came down to it, he would stick up for himself. And so I know my dad fought for his life and I know that he was a fighter to the end. And so that's the type of person he was. So whether he had issues with particular people or persons at that time, I don't know.
right? Because he never expressed any concern no. or anything like no. that to you. Everything mm -hmm. was was fine. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. He was just a normal, hardworking man who mm -hmm. liked to go out and just mm -hmm. stay happy. He was content. He was peaceful. Your world changed after that night. My world drastically changed. Um, I became a hardened person, and then eventually God softened me through this, but I, yeah, I changed. It changes you from the inside out, and you'll never be who you were before that. Mm. How has uh, your your brother taken it, the, fam the family dynamic? How has that changed? Um, my, my brother is angry. My brother um, is hurt. My brother is sad. My brother has guilt. My brother misses our dad deeply the way I do, um, but on a different level, they had a different bond. He was alive three years before me, and he spent three years with my dad prior to me, so um, we each had this special bond and relationship, and my dad had a way of making us feel unique in the moment, mm -hmm. and um, so my brother handles it very differently and harder than I do. Um, my dad's family, his siblings, they miss him deeply. They, they didn't see him often, so now they'll never have the chance to. And my mom, uh, they were divorced, but they were best friends. And so my mom, you know, of course, misses him. And my mom is our memory source. She tells us everything that we didn't know about him and, and things that if I have questions, she's the one I can go to. Um, but we've all handled it such different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but we all love and miss him just the same. When, when that happened, obviously, 10 years ago, I don't think anybody ever imagines that here we are 10 years later and still nobody's been arrested. There mm -hmm. wasn't even a person of interest or anything like that. Nothing. How frustrating is that to know? It's frustrating because I believe in accountability and responsibility. And if you can go 10 years without taking responsibility for taking someone's life, it makes it harder for me to, to value you as a human being. Mm -hmm. um, my faith has helped me get through the frustration and the understanding that I may not know, but the frustrating piece of it is that it's, it's not stealing a pack of gum or making a simple mistake. You took someone's life and we deserve to know the answers and get justice for my father mm -hmm. and have restorative justice for whoever took his life. What would it mean to you to finally see somebody be charged, be arrested, and you have your day in court? Uh, mm. I have thought about the day in court for years. I've thought about um, my impact statement and what I would say and, and would I say this and would I say that and forgiveness and all of these terms that everyone speaks of when it comes to trauma. Um, for me, to have my day in court would just mean that my dad is still dead, nothing's bringing him back, but I'm able to face the person and, and come to some kind of conclusion about what happened, because I just want to know what happened. And um, it's just about, we deserve it. We deserve to know. I understand that JSO is looking at the case again, mm -hmm. and uh, the detective on the case was telling me that a family member 
uh, called JSO to say, hey, you know, maybe you might want to look at this or that. Um, do you know, was it you who called JSO or somebody else in your family to get the case looked at again? Uh, no, I have stayed on top of things for a long time. I have, um, there's been several detectives. I didn't know that it went cold. I didn't know that it was suspended for a long time. Just things kept changing. And I called once a month for at least three years solid. Um, and then I stopped calling but I was still very much in contact with Ryan Backman. And um, now that Ryan has this wonderful organization, he kind of um, helped me out by telling, you know, telling me like, hey, this, this is what we're doing. And so I didn't make the initial phone call, mm -hmm. but I think Ryan is, is, you know, supporting my family the way he supports other families. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of um, helped me out with that. What's it been like to have the support of Ryan Backman in Project Cold Case? Um, it's been great. Um, I've known Ryan a long time. I met Ryan when he was a victim's advocate somewhere else, and um, he has been a very good friend of mine. He has been supportive, helpful, and we have a bond that will never be broken because of the things we've experienced um, being the same. And um, I think it's a beautiful thing that he finally created this organization like he said he would three years ago. And, um, it's, it's helping so many people. It's helping us get justice. It's helping us know that we're not alone and that we can continue having hope. So it's been, mm -hmm. it's been an amazing journey and it's very weird that this is happening mm -hmm. right now. Being here yeah. with us? Just mm -hmm. in general that I got a phone call and that um, this is happening. And it just lets me know that, that for 10 years, my hope is not dead and my dad's not gonna die in vain. Like, it, it's happening, it's gonna happen, and we're gonna know one way or another. Katie, what's it like being back here in this location? Um, this'll never be like a road to me, ever. Um, it's like we're standing right where my dad was, and so I can see his body here. I can see the, the shell casings over there. I, I can imagine his car with the lights on, the door open. I, I just, I can see everything in my head and I've had so many theories for so many years and I, I can't find one theory that fits my dad dying. Um, I just want him back. So this is very bittersweet for me because I'm happy this is happening, but I'm so hurt that it had to be this way. And that this neighborhood is so quiet and I mm -hmm. can't believe that a murder happened here. Mm -hmm. So it's, I feel a lot of emotions, mm -hmm. a lot. You were telling me uh, before we started that you, you come here quite often. Do I just you, drive by. Yeah, you drive by. Yeah. Do you feel more connected to him when you come to this area? Yes, but I drive by a lot just in general because it helps me remember. It helps me not forget where it happened and, and that I drive by his house too and I remember going to his house and having um, dinner with him and just I remember helping him decorate his kitchen and so those memories stay alive. So yes, it keeps me connected, but it keeps me connected to him, not his death. Right. Yeah. You were also telling me that, uh, unfortunately, you didn't get to take uh, very many pictures with him as yeah, an adult. Yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. And as I was getting our pictures ready for today, it really it hurts my heart that 
I'll also never have that chance to take a photo when I graduate with my master's this year or um, he wasn't at my college graduation. He wasn't at my, my niece's birth. He's not a part of my brother's fatherhood. Um, it's just milestones that we'll never have him for. And it's a reminder. What yeah. are you getting your master's in? Mental health counseling. Yes. Did you decide to go into that because of what happened? Um, it's my passion. It's a calling mm -hmm. on my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've, uh, I've been through a lot and my dad my dad's death definitely impacted me for the for the worse and the better and so um i became a new me and this just happens to be my purpose katie for those who are watching this story what do you want them to know what do you want them to do um say something i just i don't know if there's a fear or if there's I don't know what can hold somebody back from doing what's right. So just do the right thing, always. Always do the right thing, even when it's hard. Because at the end of the day, you not only took one life, it affected so many more. And for someone to understand that it doesn't just affect the one person, your choices affect many. That's important to me. Thank you, Katie. Is there anything else you want to add that maybe I didn't ask or that you want to share? with us no uh, I'm thankful and that this is happening and my dad is a good person my dad deserves justice and deserves he deserves this and my love for him will never die so I'll never give up ever thank you Katie thank you okay Ryan tell talk to me about the first time you ever spoke to Katie and how that conversation went. Yeah, um, at the time I was, I was working as a victim advocate for a, an organization that, that's no longer around and we helped families that had lost loved ones uh, to violence. And I get an email one day uh, from Katie that um, basically says, it's like one sentence and it says, uh, my dad was murdered and a friend of mine told me to reach out to you. So here's my number. And like that was all it said. And there was no information about um, her dad or you know, what happened or where it happened. Uh, and so you know, it was uh, kind of a, you know, it, it really encompassed a lot of what we dealt with and what we still deal with, um, the range of emotions that, that survivors have that these, um, you know, when you lose a loved one to a homicide, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's a lot of times there's a feeling that no one really cares. And, and that was really what I, I got out of the email was that, you know, somebody told me that you guys care, but I'm hesitant and I don't really believe it, you know, but I'm reaching out anyway. And uh, so I called her and, uh, and the, the initial part of our phone conversation was very similar to the email. She was very kind of brash and, and uh, you know, just, Kurt and to the point and wanted to know my intentions and how it was exactly that, that we could help. And, um, and so for her particular case, what we offered were you know, so a support group and a, a setting where she could come and be around other people that had lost somebody they loved, where she wasn't judged for those emotions. And I, I believe that that was a, a, a real breakthrough for her and in her grieving. It had been a couple years at that point um, since her dad had been murdered. I think this October will be 10 years um, 
that, that her dad was killed. And so she was, um, she really didn't have anybody to turn to um, other than family. And, and a lot of times in family dynamics, people grieve differently. And where you think they might come together, uh, sometimes it you know, that grief becomes a, a point of contention or a point where they do have to do that separately and, and, and go their own paths. And, um, and so Katie had kind of fallen in that category where she, she was grieving one way and um, didn't really feel that there was anybody around, you know, that connected with her on that level, and we were able to provide some other people that did that. And, and very quickly, she started volunteering for the, that organization, um, spending a lot of time there, becoming friends with a lot of the other um, survivors around there. When you first called her, what was, how would you describe her state of mind? Uh, angry. Um, I think she was still very, very angry uh, that one that her dad had been murdered and two, that it was an unsolved case. Um, there were some other issues too. Uh, things that, that a lot of times uh, people on the outside don't really consider um, hurtful are hurtful. I, I remember that um, a newspaper article spelled his name wrong. And, um, and there was, I mean, like a one sentence, you know, police briefing, uh, and it was, you know, a, a misspelled name and that he was shot and killed, you know, found on the side of the road. And that was it. And there was never any follow-up stories. There was never any, any publicity. Um, it, it seemingly that, you know, her dad's life didn't carry value to others. And, uh, and, I, and I know that made her angry. And it, it makes a lot of people angry. That was a completely natural uh, emotion for her to feel. But, uh, but she was, unfortunately, at that time, she was very angry. But I think, you know, through maturity and time and understanding and, and compassion from others, you know, uh, she's a very different person now than she was when I first spoke to her. And Ryan, it's not in very many people's nature to, when a loved one is killed, to just stand by with their arms crossed and not do anything. Right. So people want to get involved, try to find justice, right? Right, right. And their organizations, like the one you worked for and the one you run now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, people typically want to, um, they want to help somebody else when they've gone through something like this. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's like a badge of honor, but, but, you know, going through this kind of tragedy is extremely difficult. And, and anybody that, that can survive it really should be proud of that, you know? And, and I personally believe that not only should you be proud of it, but if you figured out a way to handle something, I think you should turn back and, and offer to help somebody else that's, that's having to go through it as well. And, uh, and you're not all gonna grieve the same. You're not all gonna react the same and, and, and do the same things and take the same path. But if, somebody, if something I did can help somebody else, if something Katie did can help somebody else, then I think it's important that we at least offer those uh, solutions to people and, and those paths to people. And, uh, uh, but we, we, you know, on the flip side of that, we have families that, that want desperately to, um, to help us and to help others, but they physically and emotionally can't. Um, they're, they're stuck in a spot where they're having to deal with this loss, and until they get some kind of resolution, they mentally and emotionally and physically cannot move past it. And, um, and we see that too. You know, we've had a number of people tell us, as soon as my loved one's case is solved, uh, I want to volunteer with you, or I want to be on the board, or I want to get a job with you, I want to be a victim advocate. And then you find out later that they're, uh, that 
their case is 20 plus years old and that there's no indication that, that anything has changed recently that would make that case resolved. Katie, and you'll learn more when, yeah. you, when you speak with her obviously, but, uh, but you know, this, her dad's murder really kind of changed her direction um, in life as well, kind of like my dad's murder did with me. Mm -hmm. And for a while she, she tried uh, corrections and, um, and that wasn't the right fit. Um, she did a lot of speaking engagements at prisons and went and spoke mm -hmm. with, uh, with prisoners. Um, she found a lot, like that did a lot of good for her. Um, and, and now I think she's you know, completing her, her master's degree to be a counselor and hopes to do um, some grief therapy and you know, help people that have gone through stuff like we've gone through heal. So uh, it's a pretty, pretty impressive story for, yeah. for somebody that has experienced something tragic, so. Thank you, Ryan, for offering your insight. Detective Reeves, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Stephen Wiggins case. I see that before you, you have a pretty decent-sized case file here. Would you call this a, a big case file on this um, case? This isn't one of our largest. Um, this is part of the case file um, with uh, some of the reports, the forensic uh, documentation. Um, there is another case file that's associated with this that has um, um, crime scene photos and, uh, and CDs and things like that. We've also moved now into a more modern age where we're digitizing things. So a lot of this case file that you would see in normally one of these binders or three or four binders, depending on what case it is, is in a, a, a digitized um, um, platform now. And that makes it easier to search through. It does. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier than just thumbing through pages. Um, and now we can uh, just easily find, find things at our, at our fingertips. And uh, Sergeant uh, Detective Reeves, tell us a little bit about uh, sort of an overview of this case, and then we'll get into some of the details. Yeah, of it. absolutely. So, what uh, with this case with Mr. Wiggins, he's uh, Stephen Wiggins, and this occurred in 2008 um, on the night of uh, October the sixth, uh, just before midnight, about quarter to midnight. Uh, patrol officers on the west side of town were called to respond to. Um, a service call of shots fired in the neighborhood. Some neighbors had called in that they had heard gunfire just prior to midnight, um, which would have been on the 6th of October. Uh, the patrol officers got out there, they, they drove around, uh, they didn't hear any gunfire, but they were canvassing the neighborhood, driving up and down the roads. Um, and then just after midnight, so that would have been on October the 7th, just after midnight, about five to seven minutes after midnight, they discovered uh, Stephen Wiggins, Mr. Wiggins, he was deceased. He was laying in the side of the roadway uh, right about the uh, 5100 block of Colonial Avenue. Um, he was uh, found there and uh, his uh, vehicle was near him just a few feet away uh, and uh, the vehicle was still running. And uh, Mr. Wiggins was at that time, they, they noticed several gunshot wounds uh, to his torso and his head and uh, they called uh, for rescue. Uh, and JFRD, the Jacksonville Fire and Rescue Department, responded, and unfortunately, they pronounced him deceased at the team at the uh, at the scene. Um, I did bring a couple of photos, um, if you'd like to see those. Yes. From some of the photos, we we can't show, but some of the ones uh, we can. I'd like to just kind of bring your attention. First of all, this is um, some street signs in the area. This was at the just. Um, east of the intersection of Vista and Colonial Avenue. This is where his body was found, yes, right around the street. Yes, it sure was. His vehicle was across on one side of the street, and uh, he was laying on the other side of the street. Yes, ma'am. Um, some of the evidence that we uh, collected, this is one piece, uh, one of the shell casings um, from the, the caliber of gun that 
um, that killed Mr. Wiggins. Um, uh, I mentioned about his vehicle. Um, this is uh, what the crime scene tape is, is what you see in the corner here. And this is uh, the vehicle. He would have been on this side. Yes, ma'am. Um, and this is from the other angle of uh, his vehicle. And Mr. Wiggins would have been just off of uh, the picture here. So he, it appears from the photos and the evidence that he got out of his car? Yes, it, it certainly does. Um, what we do know about this case is um, Mr. Wiggins was at uh, Maddie's Landing Bar, which is on Lakeshore, which is just um, a few miles from this area, just uh, up, the, up from Vista. If you ran Vista um, down, it would run into the Lakeshore area on the creek there. Uh, he was earlier at that bar, and uh, then we know that after that he left the bar from folks that we were able to interview. He goes to the McDonald's, and the McDonald's is uh, on Blanding and Wilson, which is just another across uh, the other side of that creek, probably about a mile away from there, a mile and a half away. Um, we have video uh, footage from the uh, drive-through window where he goes through. He's by himself in his vehicle. There's no one else there. Um, and then after that, and that was, we do have that registered. That was at 11.33. So we know that uh, at 11.33, he's at McDonald's. And then we know that 11.45 is when the police got the call for the shots fired. So from the McDonald's. 11.35 is when the shots fired call 11.33 came. is when he's at McDonald's. Right. And 11.45 11 um, is when, he, when the shots are fired, when, when okay. residents call in that they heard gunfire. Now, sometimes you hear gunfire and you may not immediately run to the phone. It may be a minute or two. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, did I really hear what I thought I heard? And right. maybe we heard more. In interviewing some of the uh, witnesses in the area, that was the case in, in this particular um, crime that they heard a few gunshots or at least one and another witness uh, in the neighborhood said that after that they weren't sure what they heard but then they heard another gunshot and that's when they called the police. Mm -hmm. So we've got that window from 11.33 to at least when the gunshots uh, are heard the first time that it's called in at 11.45. And then he's discovered minutes later at uh, seven minutes after uh, midnight on the following uh, morning. Um, and so we know that he's at the bar, we know that he's at the McDonald's, and then we also know that the direction of travel that would have, he would have taken from the McDonald's to his house is along this path, because his home, his residence, is just a few blocks away from this. So he was almost home. He was, he was just a few blocks away from his house, yes ma'am. It does appear from these photos that there aren't very many light posts around there? there it, was not a, it was not well lit at all. The, the light that you have was from the residences, porch lights. We've been out not only at this time, but we've been out, um, our team recently, uh, as we opened this case file back up from some information that we got, and we've gone and looked back through uh, not only the, the crime scene photos and the evidence and re-talked to witnesses, but we were out there at this time of night, and that's part of what we do. Um, when you're when you're looking at these cases, you want to use make sure you're using the same time of year, um, and also uh, roughly that same time frame. And the lighting, even though it's a few years years later, there weren't a lot of street lights, but there were some house lights that were on. What was the state of his car? Um, it was summer? it was it had not been. We do not believe that this was a robbery. Uh, we know that his wallet was still on him, um, and nothing appears to be taken from the car itself. We know that his car is still running. Um, and we know that he's deceased just a few feet away from the vehicle. Does it appear to you that whatever happened clearly happened very quickly? 
I would say so, yes, ma'am, because we have such a short window, and that isn't always the case with a lot of the homicides that we work, that we, that we know anything definitive timeline-wise, but on this one, it certainly was. We have that very, very short window uh, from the time that he's at McDonald's by himself till the time that he drives a few miles away in the direction of his home, and then we hear the gunfire, and then the police are responding fairly quickly, and they're there and they find him. And Detective Vries, what are some of the theories um, you're working we, on? We believe, um, some of those will, we can't uh, explain right. completely, but we believe that something happened in this area um, that caused him to get out. Whether he came upon a commotion or a fight between other people or someone flagged him down and stopped him, um, we aren't 100% sure on that. But we do know that whatever it was, it drew his attention enough for him to pull over to the side of the road, the car was still running, and for him to get out of the vehicle. So we do, we do know that. What does it tell you that the car was still running? Um, it was not uh, carjacking, it wasn't uh, a robbery, um, and it was, may have been someone that it, he at least was familiar with. Interesting, and, and Detective, you mentioned that uh, this case is reopened now because you have some new information. Can yes. you share any of that? Uh, some of that I, I'll be glad to. Um, we got a phone call, uh, which is a lot of times what happens in cold cases. Um, we have uh, quite a few that are, we don't necessarily have the manpower to run on all of those every day and re-look at every case, but sometimes we'll get a tip, maybe a phone call in from a family or friend, um, and we go and we pull the case and we begin looking at it again. There was some new information that came available in this one. Uh, we re-interviewed, I, I talked to the detectives who were who worked this case originally. Um, some have retired and some are in the stages of getting close to retiring. So we had the luxury of actually interviewing those. Some of the cold cases that we have, some of the detectives back then may have passed away or moved on or something else like that. So I was able to talk with them and get some information. Um, we were able to develop um, someone that at the time was someone that needed to be talked to, maybe a person of interest. Um, we were able to, with modern technology, we have um, social media that's been, that we have now that wasn't necessarily the case then, and being able to uh, identify that person really honestly within a, few, within a few hours. And once we were able to identify um, that person, we were able to make contact, find them, and uh, begin conducting some interviews that they did not, were not able to at the time that this happened. So uh, with new technology, that's really, really helped us out. And this all came about because of a tip? Yes, Okay. Yeah. And really, it was a tip to relook into the case. Is there, um, and I think for us, it was a family member calling and saying, uh, and so what I mean by tip, well, there wasn't any new information. What there was was a family member calling in and saying, do you have any updates? Is there, is there been a status change? Is there anything else that's been done? And so um, our sergeant um, was able to pull that and, and give that to us to, to look through, and we were able to then begin looking at it, kind of bringing it up to modern technology. Some of the cases that we have, whether we are able to solve them today or next week or next year or 10 years away, when we're able to look at these cases, we can at least bring them up to the technology that we have today. And in this case, um, we also know that we have some DNA that we're uh, looking at as well. And was that DNA garnered from the body? 
It was uh, taken from the scene, I'll say that. Okay. It was taken from the scene at the time, and uh, now with some new advances in technology and DNA, we're able to um, have those looked at. Let me ask you this, though. Was, sure. was there any signs of a struggle on his person? Um, there were some signs that something had happened, but it's without that conclusive evidence mm -hmm. back from um, the DNA. We're, we don't know if it was a struggle or if that is something that had happened prior to this. And the, uh, with this person that, that you're looking at, are you uh, calling this person a person of interest at this point or not yet? Not yet. Okay. We're saying that um, they were near the scene, and so we'd like to talk to them. Okay. Um, and that could, it could be completely innocent, that they um, live in the area and walk by, and we we're able to find um, some trace, some, some information about that. Or it could be something um, a little bit more sinister. Right now, because it wasn't a robbery, it wasn't a carjacking, uh, you don't have a motive right now. Is we that don't. No, that's correct. We don't. Um, that's one of the things in this one that's a little bit puzzling. And uh, with that short time frame where he gets to this area um, and then he's outside, there's, a, there's some puzzle pieces in this that we have put together, but there's a few that are still outstanding. Mm -hmm. the, uh, go going forward, uh, what would you like the public? To do. Um, I, I, that's one of the greatest things that we have uh, in, in Jacksonville is we have um, people who are interested in, in these and, in, and I think doing the right thing. And so I think that there's probably some people that were out on in this part of town that maybe at the time didn't think that they had any information that was relevant to the police. And maybe they thought, well, I don't want to get involved because the police are doing their job and I don't want to interfere. Um, or maybe someone over the years has said something about this case. Perhaps they were in a relationship with someone then in 2008 that they're not in now. Um, and so what we would love to do is we would love to hear from the public. One of the ways that they can do that is call us directly um, at our non-emergency line, uh, 630-0500. Um, another way is if they want to remain anonymous, they can contact the Crime Stoppers. Um, and then we partner with um, Project Cold Case. Um, they can also reach out to Mr. Beckman, Ryan Beckman, at uh, Project Cold Case. Um, and, and he can um, get with us as well. So there's a myriad of ways if people have information that they'd like to give us. And that's kind of where we are at this point. We, we need all the help that we can get. Because honestly, cold cases um, are a public safety issue. And so if someone has committed this crime, they're likely to have committed others or will commit others. And we would like to help not only Mr. Wiggins in this case, but bring someone to justice. Mm -hmm. And were any, it was pretty late at night, um, would you say that there were any eyewitnesses at um, all? There were none. No okay. eyewitnesses to this other than um, maybe a few of the people that we've developed over the last uh, few months. Okay. But the people you still need to talk to. Yes. Say. Were those people ever interviewed uh, initially? No. Okay. They were not They were not able to be tracked down. And through okay. the advances, like I said, in some of the technology and some of the social media, we've been able to do that. We've been able to, to actually speak with several of them who were, who were very helpful, mm -hmm. um, who were able to come forward. They didn't even know... Um, they knew that something had happened, but when the police got there, they roped off the crime scene and they didn't know what it was that they, because sometimes that happens with people. They don't know if they do have information that's necessary. And that's why we would rather, as the police, get all the information that we can. We'll filter it out and let us know if it's relevant or not. And it may be. Um, and that in one of the cases, it was. And I imagine you've already looked at this, but the, what about the theory of uh, potentially him getting into some sort of argument at the bar that he was at earlier. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. That and, hasn't uh, panned out. Uh, not completely okay. yet. So we have uh, done, and even those the detectives uh, originally 
uh, interviewed the folks that were there. Um, and there was some great information that came out of that, which is what kind of spawned one of the people that we're um, trying to talk with. But, but th that's exactly right. In that short period of time, you have him at this bar at McDonald's. We know that there wasn't an argument at McDonald's because we've got all of that on video. Um, and uh, he is not, doesn't appear to be in distress at all uh, at the McDonald's. Actually very jovial with the cashier at the window. Did, uh, it, did the video show anybody, anybody potentially following him? Or it, it did not. Okay. No, unfortunately it did not. Okay. And any surveillance video in that area? There were none at the time. Um, we've re-canvassed since then and uh, there were some video cameras that were put in afterwards, but this was 2008 um, and it wasn't as accessible or I will say maybe cost effective as a lot of people have today, but there, there were not unfortunately at this time. And never in this case has there ever been a suspect or a person of interest? No, well. no, okay. no ma'am. Okay. No, there has not been, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It makes it even more difficult. It, it is a challenge, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Detective, anything that uh, maybe I didn't ask that you think would be important to, to point out? And um, lastly, if you want to talk to the public again and how they can really help you yeah, solve no, this case. I, I think um, in this case in particular, it's it's very, it would be very important because we, we really have not developed some of the leads that we would like to, um, which can sometimes be the case in, in, uh, in cold cases. Um, and I think for us with Mr. Wiggins, we, you know, we, we rely on the public. If anyone has any information, whether you think it's important or maybe you're just not sure, come forward. You can remain anonymous if you want to, um, or you can come and um, forward and meet with us. You can uh, make a phone call, talk to uh, Ryan at uh, Project Cold Case, but I think in this case that that missing piece of the puzzle is going to come from someone out there who may have something that we really honestly need to help this family, to bring some closure to this and to the community. Thank you so much, Detective Reeves. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Action News Jack's Project Cold Case airs the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month on Action News Jack's at 5.30. You can also find all of our stories, interviews, pictures, and documents on actionnewsjacks.com. Just look for the Project Cold Case button. And listeners, we hope you share this podcast on your social media platforms. Lorena and I also welcome your questions. Just tweet us at Paige A.N. Jacks or Lorena A.N. Jacks.